720 WGN. Hello there. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams today with you until three o'clock. Glad to be here. Keeping an eye on the weather for you, too. It's um, it's been a little snowy on and off all morning. And we'll keep you updated as that that weather system continues to move through the area because it's just kind of like slushy outside right now. It's, it's kind of very wet. It, when I left the house, it felt like it was like springtime and slushy. And then 20 minutes later, it like I, you know, got off the bus and then it was suddenly like snowy. And then I got off the train and it was like slushy again. So there's a lot going on. It's not horribly cold. I'm trying to trying to Which find I'll the bright spot. Take that. I will take that. We do sure. what we can. We find the bright spot in January. We, we take them where we can get them is what yes. we can do. <laughs> you couldn't plausibly look outside right now and call it bright, but it no, isn't. <laughs> there's nobody going, but this is a... awesome. Look outside. <laughs> look at that. That's great. Yeah, that's true. But I'll tell you a bright spot. Griffin, mm. I haven't worked with you in ages. How are you? It's been a while. We used to be on every week. I know. But it's it's great to be back with it you. It is great. We get two Feels hours today. very familiar. I know, right? I'm yes. like, I don't know how to work with Griffin. This is all good. <laughs> how are you? What's new? Well, I, I returned back from Los Angeles. Uh, I went there for a trip. I got back on Tuesday. Did you bring me a palm tree? No. Okay. I didn't bring you anything. <laughs> Actually, I didn't bring anybody anything. That didn't occur to me until this moment. That's something uh, a lot of people do when they go on trips. I don't know that people do that as much anymore. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, like I had an aunt and uncle. They were very involved in the um, the Sister Cities organization in their town. So they were oh, always yeah. going somewhere exciting and bringing me back some little tchotchke thing from whatever corner of the earth. Of course. And then... I would tell people about that, and they'd be like, really? My my uncle brought me a shirt from Daytona Beach one time. Like, I don't think people do that. I think, well, I appreciate, you're making me feel better about this oversight. I'm trying to. to. All the, I, think, <laughs> I think it's showing, yeah. Uh, I think maybe I could have brought something back for somebody, and it did not cross my mind once. I should probably interrogate that. It's, yeah. not, it's not great. Sit but, with that in yourself <laughs> and see where you land. I was looking back very fondly on the trip uh, up until this, this moment. Yeah. Um, no, were yeah. you there for business or for fun? For fun, I have a friend from college who lives there who I he's been there for a long time and I still hadn't visited, so yeah. it, was, it was overdue. It was my first time in California in the whole state. That's right, really. Yes, how'd you and like it? Uh, wonderful, yeah, it's beautiful, right? I think LA is nice. It gets a kind of a bad rap for like the Hollywood stuff. Well, yeah, it's a beautiful city, it's so much more than that, though. Yeah, it really there's, is. Uh, there's many kinds of people who live there and do many kinds of things. I did go to two notable Hollywood shooting locations, which one? Uh, ones. One was a house from Mad Men where Don Draper grew up. Okay. Uh, if you remember correctly, he lived in a brothel in his in his childhood, oh, they, and yeah. they flash back to it yep, throughout the show. Right. And then there's one. <laughs> it's sort of involved, but there's one key scene where he takes his kids to look at the house where he grew up. Yep. And you see it, and uh, it's very recognizable to people who are obsessed with that show, as I am. So. Uh, it, it was also on the way to where we were going, and I didn't make many peculiar requests like this for most of the trip. So I was like, I've got my one. My one thing. Uh, well, I do want to see this. And okay. as silly as it sounds, I want to go to this darn house. And then so so we did that. What part of town is that in? Do you remember? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it's easy. I get very turned around there. It was a lot. Of, it seemed like old L.A. Like uh, there were a lot of old big houses which is not really how they build them now so it was like this feels like a, one of the first parts of towns that was incorporated and developed and then later that night this was a surprise they took me to the bar where they filmed the tv show new girl which i'm also <laughs> obsessed with and that was a surprise and that uh blew my mind and That's they spend a lot of time there in the show so Mad Men was just kind of a silly there's this one scene i want to go check it out 
And then this was like, wow, I've spent a lot of time in this room because I watched yeah. that show all the time. That's really interesting. I, I think it's kind of t- if So if you find yourself in Los Angeles, like what's the one thing you'd want to see? I think right. that's kind of interesting. And I, and I let them choose a lot of the other stuff. I wanted to see like the actual city, not do yeah. stupid like, that's oh, right. I love this show. Because you could do that all. That's like the whole city is there's been yeah. something filmed somewhere, Pretty you know, much. so yeah. I didn't want it to be too much about that. But uh those two were were very fun. You can do it in Chicago too. I was going to say you can also do that here with especially John Hughes films and things like that. Oh, you know? of course, yeah. Well, Justin Kaufman could tell you all about that. He's been doing that bracket for yeah, yeah, that's for right. uh, yeah, totally for a very long time. So, what part of Los Angeles did you like the best, other than your homage to your like pilgrimage to Mad Men and the New Girls? <laughs> well, and it was with a, so, um, even more of my friends at that time. So, th- I have to say it's embarrassing, but that might be my most fond memory of the trip, <laughs> unfortunately. But. Uh, there was a lot of great hiking, which I'm not a huge hiker, but it was fun to to get into that too. The Griffith Observatory is very famous lookout, yep. and that was beautiful and a really fun day. That that that's up there. Yeah, I mean, the first time I went to Los Angeles, I wanted to see like the very iconic stuff. You know, I wanted to see like the observatory because you know Rebel Without a Cause and all that. You know, those oh, kind yeah. of iconic Hollywood things. And and I, we kept bumping into locations that I remembered from not legendary movies. You know, you feel like you're doing the wrong. Like oh. This was in 500 Days of Summer. I, oh. I saw that. It's fine. <laughs> That's but funny. I don't want to take a picture and people think that I'm doing like the 500 Days of Summer tour. They're like, sure, is he sure. obsessed with that movie or something? Yeah. The first time I went there, I was very into, I want to see all the old Hollywood stuff. Yeah. Like the Roosevelt Hotel. That was a big deal. I wanted to see that. And I just, I mean, obviously I've only seen the lobby, but still I like went in there and had a drink and... Um, you know, I, I, that was kind of my, my mission the first time. I would love to do something kind of like that, yeah. but that seems like second trip stuff. I just wanted to kind of take it easy and do the big things and just, just see a lot of the city. So I feel like every time I've been Next there, time. it's a different trip. It's, well, yeah, big know, cities, totally Chicago would be the exact same well, you can't do it all yeah. in four. I was there four days, so you're not going to be able to do no. even close to a fraction of it. So you just have to go with what you want and do that instead. Okay. So that's a good question for later is what is... The ideal time to explore a big city completely from zero. Right. Oh, that's good. We got to think about that. All right. We'll come back to that. All right. We'll be back here in just a bit on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here in for John Williams with you until three o'clock. Glad to be here and grateful to you for sharing part of your afternoon with us here. So we were uh, talking a bit about traveling. We were kind of uh, just riffing here on a tangent about traveling uh, because Griffin just returned (laughs) from LA and saw some uh, as one does, right? You want to see, oh, this site is famous because of this. You right. Know, people do that when they travel, right? You want to see, especially when it comes to things that have appeared in movies. I was also looking for famous people, which we did not oh. see. We did not see any. You didn't see anybody? Nobody. You probably did and don't know it. I feel like That's I always possible. see low-key celebrities just being low-key celebrities. I would like to know what was the closest proximity we had without noticing. You know, like, what was the close call? But there's no way to know because I didn't see. You but didn't see. I wish I could just have that information beamed to me somehow. Sure, sure. Who were we near? Who was I near? Well, you're there and you feel like, oh, everybody's here. Yeah, like everybody's connected to this somehow. But that's just not true. There's plenty of people doing it. And it comes up while you're there. People are like, have you seen anybody famous? And I'd say no. And then the conversation steers towards famous people I've seen in Chicago, which is the tears that you have are so different. Like uh, when you see someone who's like a C-list celebrity here, you like are like, oh, my God. But they they all have a story about seeing you know. Yeah, I feel like Renee he, Zellweger. Yeah, whatever. I feel like here you rare you rarely hear someone go, "Oh, I walked," you know, I was walking on the sidewalk and so and so walked past me. It's always a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I w- have worked at a grocery store and uh, guest stars from Empire come in mm-hmm. when they're staying here in Chicago. 
So I've served, you know, the the rapper Exhibit. I don't know if you remember him. Of course I do, because he he also hosted. Um, what was the car show? Was it Pin My Ride? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was a great show. That's and ridiculous. Because, probably like, what he's most known for. Yeah. Who needs a hot tub in their pickup truck? Well, <laughs> you think you don't, and then you see it, <laughs> and you do. You're like, how I have really, I lived so long? Yeah, when I, I watched that when I was a kid, and I loved it so much. If you're not familiar with Pimp My Ride, it was like it was kind of like a home makeover show. Yeah. But just with. What could be, you know, Exhibit was the, the the host. You could describe it as like had a hip hop flair, maybe or yeah. something. And he, and, um, and it, but and you they would make over people's cars. And it would usually be they would tell you a little about the person, like you know, this is Joe, <laughs> and he is a teacher, and he's trying to start this after after school program for kids, and he's really making a difference in, in his community. But oh man, his bumper sticker or his his bumper is attached to his car with duct tape, and it's falling apart, and he's broken. He can't do anything. But he dreams. Of of whatever and they would like take his car they would come knock on the door take your car yep. and then suddenly return it to you and it's got like hey now your car is green velvet and there's a hot tub in the back <laughs> and it's like on some level it was probably it would probably be more cost effective to be like here we've purchased you a sensible honda <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh that, that would be a million times better but i was watching this as a kid and i thought that is the coolest car ever now you look back on it like that car broke down instantly after instantly. this was there, there's so much happening there there's no way it could have supported. There's so much yeah, there's upkeep no there. No way. That you it was, they had, like TVs and the dashboard. It's like oh, that's yeah. clearly unsafe. Oh, there was like, <laughs> like a. That was great. So I, I met the man behind that that wonderful that's show. Cool. That's so, good. but so you're telling people in Los Angeles that story. And they're and they're, like, whatever. Oh, that's great. Yeah, very. But here they're like, oh, cool. Right. Of course, yeah, it's yeah. exhibit. He's the best. <laughs> yeah, and I think we're a little. I don't know. It would be interesting to kind of characterize how you act in L.A. when you run into someone famous versus what you do here if you live here. I get nervous and don't say anything at all. I want to if people want to text in 312-981-7200 if you would like to tell us about a celebrity encounter. I don't do anything. I don't do anything. I don't say anything. I get nervous and I just don't want to bother them. Also, I don't feel like what will possibly be an enriching experience for them if i come up and say hello you don't know me i'm sorry to interrupt your meal i'm a big fan like they don't and is like the awkwardness of that encounter worth the picture that's the calculus you have to do and i think most people say yes maybe uh and maybe if i had done it before and gotten the picture and felt that reward i would know that it was worth it but i'm too uh, shy or yeah. I don't who's know, the shy is the wrong word who's but... the celebrity that you would actually say hey i'm a huge fan of yours. that's a good question do you have one? Locked and loaded? Uh, I mean, like, there is I a just story I've throw told. it all out and There go is a for story it? I've told many times on this station in which I saw Morrissey in a music store and wow. I decided to go say hello to him because I'm a big Smith fan. Of course. And I completely messed it up. And <laughs> I was very stupid in front of him and ran But he's away. so intimidating. He's a mean guy. Well, sort of. Yeah. And now, like, he's kind of a, turned out to be kind of a jerk. So it's kind of complicated <laughs> now. I was like, I listened to you for decades and now you're kind of, kind of a punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. He never spoke. Because I just, like I opened with just hey what's it and just kind of started. So my brother has this idea. Like he contends to this day that that probably wasn't him. It was just a guy who looks like him. And you know, for all I know, that guy was like from Alabama or like didn't even right. speak English. Who knows? It wasn't Morrissey, and I freaked out for no reason. I think I would have to say something if I bumped into like Rokon, <laughs> right? John, or John Williams. I know. Can you imagine? Can you? <laughs> I wouldn't be able to stop myself <laughs> from any any of the uh, WGN celebs we have here. I at the feel station. like there's probably someone like a I don't know if it'd be an actor for you, but I feel like there are directors that would probably make you say something. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, 
There's a weird, yeah, yeah. Like if you ran into like Wes Anderson <laughs> or Scorsese or some like a big Martin Scorsese, name. yeah, he is also good at dealing with people. It seems like. No, I don't know. I I think I would just be too nervous. I I don't think I have it in me. Yeah, actually, I don't know if you'd say anything to Wes Anderson. I feel like you uh, you take a weird picture over your shoulder. And be like <laughs> Wes Anderson's in the room. I'd be stalk. I'd just stalk him for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Something about that. But see, there's also like the don't meet your heroes thing that even if they're not your heroes, if you're just like, oh, that's such a, he played that nice guy in that film. Well, so that's what it is. I think I'm saying that I am like respecting their privacy and I'm too shy. But what really is, is I'm afraid that they're mean. They're going to be a jerk. Yeah. And then I have to walk around with that for the rest of my life. That's right. There there have been a couple of celebrities. I will not say who that. Oh, come on. No. Name names. One happened here in Chicago. One happened in New York Mm. that I saw in a bar. In really bad shape, and it was very disappointing. Not like whatever, people get drunk, it's fine, but being like <laughs> making a fool of themselves and being obnoxious. Yeah. And like one may or may not have been talking about doing business with a lady <laughs> okay. in such a way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, that's disappointing. Not what you want. Not what I like. It was a, an actor who's like, a wholesome type that I was like, oh man. Let's say I saw Vince Vaughn at a Cub game. From like twenty rows behind him, yeah. And but you could tell it was Vince Vaughn, and people there was a buzz, and he was wearing a Cubs jersey that said Vaughn on the back. Well, that'll not, like, not be in. Incong- yeah, he's, he's trying he's to lay low. Jersey saying very famous person. <laughs> I mean, it, I I thought about it a lot because I was like, really, you're gonna yeah, attract more attention. But I think if you're Vince Vaughn at a Cub game, it's like the jig is up. Everyone is gonna be all over you the whole game and then i think that's sort of the mecca for people that's right that are trying to get a picture with vince vaughn i feel i like. kind of feel like though there's a group of celebrities that if you see them at a cubs game it's you you kind of have to make it not a big deal vince vaughn is one of them i feel like bill murray is one of them who i think is awesome though um i think the cusack spottings that's one of those like it's a chicago rite of passage where you can't be like oh my gosh i saw john cusack like i've i've seen him out and about a few times but i feel like those are the and and like to some extent Eddie Vedder who was like super Cubs fan guy during the World Series. I feel like those became the celebrity sightings that were so common that nobody was impressed anymore. <laughs> because there was like, oh right. yeah, I've seen that guy a million times. A couple of texts. Somebody okay. said when my daughter was two, she was in the movie Message in a Bottle. Oh, and she was held by Kevin Costner and Robin Wright in Chicago. Oh, that's cool. And, and then the next text comes in. I watched on enviously. I watched on enviously. <laughs> <laughs> And then another one, my son is an actor, and at age 10, he did a TV show with Patrick Swayze called The Beast and told Swayze his dream came true, that he didn't, that he had an IMDb credit, and Swayze left for a minute. That's wow. nice. I hope it's nice. He said it was uh, Swayze, you know, I, I, he had went on to pass away. He, he said, the, it goes on, Swayze had cancer at the time, but was so nice to my son okay, good. and treated him like a fellow actor, not a kid. That's so sweet. He was laughing with, not at. Okay, There's so good, many so stories about Patrick Swayze by, like that, by the way. He's, I've never heard a mean one. No, never. It seems like guy. he was never a jerk. He, he never, a... you know, he was a low drama guy. And yeah. Well, there's that. So we, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I've, I mean, probably the, the funniest celebrity encounter I ever had that I was just like, this is so funny and weird. Um, I was at the bank. And Haley Mills was behind me in line. And then I, you know, got to the ATM and got my money out and whatever. And then I went next door and stopped at another store. You know, it was like a bodega place. And I was like buying a bottle of water or something, whatever. And she was behind me in line again. She was in there. And she made a point to pull me aside to let me know that she wasn't stalking me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just thought that was like very – I was like, thanks, Haley. And I called – I said, thanks, Haley Mills. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, let's be clear. I'm stalking you. Let's, you're just <laughs> behind me in line. But I'm just I'm a stalking. very good stalker. So I flipped it on you and you think you, <laughs> you think it seems like you're following me. No, I'm no, no. I'm such a good stalker. That, <laughs> no, I thought that was so – but she – because at that point I had moved away and she was like, excuse, excuse me, excuse me. Like she went and got me. I thought that was so funny. She was so nice about it. She was very sweet. And then another time I saw Al Pacino walking down the street singing – just at the top of his lungs. Al Pacino? He was with somebody. He was just singing along. There's another text that says, I say you just wave when you see your favorite celebrity. That's a good call. That's you. That's like, you might brighten their day a little bit, or maybe they'll just be like, meh, whatever. But nothing bad can really come from that. You, yeah. haven't, done, you haven't crossed any line. Just wave. Say, that's right. You'd just be like, wow, hi. I think... I think if you get you up, say big fan and then keep keep it moving. Yeah, I think if they're you, eating something, you should leave them alone. Oh, eating! Don't go up to a table and be like, "Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to tell you." Here's the perfect celebrity encounter. One time at O'Hare, I walked past past Kyle McLaughlin, and we just like made eye contact, and I like smiled and nodded at him, and he did the same. And I was like, "There, there's the perfect thing." Like I acknowledge you, Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin that's McLaughlin. great. I've acknowledged you, Agent Cooper. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> It was fine. I didn't stop you from your plane. You didn't stop me from mine. Everything's good. This texter said, but if I saw Jimmy Johnson, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I like how you just acted out that shrug emoji. Well, they did an emoji. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't translating. So uh, good times. All right. Well, I think it's time for us to break. On the other side of the break, we're going to be talking with John Pletz from Crane's Chicago Business about a really interesting kind of the business piece and the business implications of, as we're talking about, uh, the city that's quarantined in China to kind of... Uh, contain some uh, this disease outbreak? Like, what is the business application of that? And what does that mean for businesses across the globe and the U.S.? More on that when we come back here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, it's Amy Guth here in for John Williams with you until 3 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this rainy Saturday. We'll keep you updated on the weather as it's moving through the area and can't make up its mind if it's snow slush or rain or springtime or winter or what. All good. We'll keep you updated on that. We are joined now by John Pletz from Crane's Chicago Business. He wrote recently about, we've been talking a lot about the coronavirus that's been in the news the last couple of days in particular, but he wrote recently about how that impacts business. That's a really interesting uh, you know, thing to consider once you think about it. John, thanks so much for being with us. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Glad to be here. So uh, talk to me about this story that you have, um, you know, as it's kind of taking a look at, at as the coronavirus is spreading, as we're hearing now about a case in Chicago and one in Washington State and, and in other places, um, how that's impacting business travel and businesses. Talk me through if you would. We haven't seen uh, a lot yet. Uh, it's what everyone's expecting to happen. Uh, as soon as the coronavirus, as soon as, you know, word started getting out about that, uh, a lot of people immediately started thinking about SARS, which was a similar respiratory virus that broke out in 2003 and spread very quickly, resulted in a lot of in travel restrictions. Companies put off travel. Uh, you know, it, it had a major impact on the airline industry back then. So it, a lot of people immediately started thinking about that. And now you've, you know, you've got people trying to figure out how they're going to deal with it. And, you know, I think it's an interesting time. Anytime we're looking at um, at airlines right now, here's, a, here's a, a sector of industry that's already pretty impacted with the ongoing saga from Boeing and the 737 MAX. I kind of cringed when I saw this idea because I thought, oh, man, if this starts to impact business travel and make people, you know, ba- maybe a little more conservative in their travel or delaying plans, here's a moment when I think that could be kind of disastrous for airlines for sure. 
I don't know that it'll be disastrous, uh, you know, have quite the impact that SARS did, which clearly, you know, really crippled uh, the airline industry back in, in 03. Uh, you know, we were just coming out of a, um, a recession post-September uh, 11th, which had a massive impact on the airlines as well. So you sort of had a perfect storm there. Uh, all of the airlines, you know, we had a round of consolidations and mergers since then are in way better shape. But this came up last week on United's earnings call. You know, things are going well. Company's doing as, as well as it's it's done in decades. And, you know, two things that came up on the call were the 737 MAX, which is starting to impact them more because they have more deliveries coming, and uh, the coronavirus. And, you know, United's taken an interesting um, approach, you know, with, with Wall Street, and it's really worked out well for them in that they've said, these things happen. Uh, we'll figure out how to deal with it, and and we're not going to make excuses. We'll we'll find a way to uh, to muddle through. This will be a real test of that because uh, you know the impact on travel for them. Should they are the largest carrier to Asia in the U.S. and they they rely heavily on business travel. As you note in the piece that you wrote at Crane's Chicago Business, also they're already looking ahead to, uh, you know, maybe mitigating or at least what the potential impact could be as far out as the summer uh, for travel to Tokyo for the Summer Olympics. And, you know, that was kind of, I kind of did a double take when I saw that because I thought, wow, that's a long time away. Are they really thinking in those terms? But I guess if you're thinking about making plans now for travel, then this would be in the back of your mind. That's the problem is it's not just the immediate impact. So, you know, as I was telling you, we haven't seen a lot of business impact yet. Companies aren't saying we're, we're going to start restricting travel or delaying travel. Uh, you know, they, they, they will try and size things up. Uh, but the, the folks that I was talking to that really follow the travel industry closely and even a, a business owner here in town have said, no, we're going to, we're going to, we'll, we'll put off travel. We, we can't afford to put employees at risk. And that's the problem is it's not just the here and now with travel. You know, it's, it's travel is about 90, 120 days out. You know, what's going on today affects travel decisions that won't actually come to pass for three, four months. I was really shocked when uh, the guy from the Business Travel Coalition told me, he said, uh, you know, you got to be starting to worry about the Olympics. And I was like, geez, that's in like August. He said, well, you know, those decisions get made several months in advance. And the reason it was important to businesses, he said, that's a huge business entertainment opportunity. So that's really, you know, kind of a scary proposition if you're looking at just the dollars and cents and the economics of this. That's very interesting. Another Chicago connection to that story I thought was interesting was uh, I, I was reading about, you know, precautions that Chinese officials were taking as, uh, you know, to, to try to mitigate the spread of, of the disease. And I noticed it was it, it mentioned several news stories mentioned that McDonald's were closing down just to, you know, temporarily just to so people would not be interacting there. And I thought, that's interesting. You know, here's a Chicago company on the other side of the world, you know, doing business. And I, I wonder how that will uh, what, if any, impact that would have, uh, you know, when when McDonald's has been looking at their numbers and they've just gone through a lot of change. I thought that was kind of an interesting little footnote in that story, too. Uh, well, I want to shift real quickly in the, at the time we have left. You also have been writing so much about the marijuana 
marijuana industry? Are there what is kind of the this week? We you and I talked several times about kind of what is uh, what the beginning looked like. Uh, those first couple, I know on New Year's Day, you were out and about, uh, you know, covering all of that and talking to people in line at medical or uh, recreational re- marijuana dispensaries. Now that we're a little more settled in, what is kind of the update on how the Illinois marijuana industry is, is looking? How would you characterize it now? Well, they got the doors open, but there's a huge scramble going on to meet the uh, demand. You know, the, the supply is nowhere close uh, to being able to satisfy the demand. And so there's a bunch of build-outs in various stages of progression right now. You've got a bunch of cultivation facilities expanding, and that'll help. It's still not going to get them where they need to go. That that may not happen, you know, for a year. Uh, so those are coming online, and that'll that'll help. But they're also citing all of those new dispensaries, you know, and, th- and that's going on. Uh, and that's still in the early stages. There's one or two of them open, but, you know, the 55 license holders, that we're doing medical all have the right to open new facilities. And that process has been a lot slower than people thought, but all of those things take money. And what we were writing about this week is the marijuana stocks, despite the fact that, you know, we've all heard about the growth and long lines and, you know, people are really excited about it. The stocks of marijuana companies have just crumpled in the past year. They all peaked last spring and then proceeded to plummet. And that creates a lot of ripple effects that we're going to feel here in Chicago. One is the publicly traded companies don't have as much capital or as easy access to capital as they would have to do all the expansions they need. There were a couple of major deals involving Chicago companies that were stock-based transactions, and those have not yet closed. It's likely they will, but this didn't exactly help things. Very interesting. I, I think what is interesting to me about following the medical marijuana era, sorry, rec- I keep saying medical, recreational marijuana industry in Illinois is because there, to me, there, there are so many buckets to it. You know, there's the, the stock and business and economic piece. There's the social equity piece. And sitting kind of right mm-hmm. next to that is like the, the legal and uh, expungement piece and how all that's going to shake out. I think those are really, really, it's just kind of an interesting time to be here watching this, this industry. Kind of, you know, be fascinating. Here. And the, the one thing that people don't really recognize about the, uh, the marijuana story, you know, it's been very focused on, you know, the legalization of, you know, recreational weed. But Chicago is a major player in the U.S. marijuana industry. You know, depending on who's doing the math and which transaction has closed, it's anywhere from a third to half of the largest marijuana companies in the U.S. are based in Chicago. And that's why we were paying attention to the stock piece of this, you know, because a lot of the major players who operate in Illinois you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Nevada, you know, to take your pick, are all here. And one of the things we'll be keeping an eye on is, you know, New York is poised to take another run at trying to do, uh, to legalize recreational marijuana there. That has a major impact on several Chicago companies. Super interesting. Well, we will all keep turning to you for the latest. Thanks so much, John Pletz from Crane's Chicago Business, for being with us today. Glad to do it. Thanks. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to take a little break. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 
720 WGN. Hello there. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams today with you until three o'clock. Uh, we were talking just a little bit ago with uh, with John Pletz about some really interesting stories that he has written lately and some topics that he covers. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm going to be sure and tweet those out after the program. But before we talk to him, we started we kind of got on this little tangent kind of off the cuff about celebrity encounters. Well, it started with traveling because Griffin recently went to Los Angeles, but that kind of morphed into who'd you run into? What'd you do? And a lot of people have chimed in on text. If you have a celebrity sighting tale you would like to share, feel free to send us a text, 312-981-7200. Who is texting in right now, Griffin? Uh, a couple of people. One said, one unusual celebrity moment was when I was in church with my mother and Tim Kazarinski from SNL oh. uh, was there, I guess, and they shook his hand during the sign of peace. That's nice. That is nice. I was just thinking about him. He's not the biggest name that, to come out of SNL and a lot of SNL people have Chicago ties, but I just watched the movie about last night. Yeah, with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore. Uh-huh. Do you remember that one? Of course I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, he co-wrote it, I guess. Oh, he did. Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Saw the name pop up, and I was like, ah, I love that the ties to this movie go uh, run are, are Chicago based up, up until the stars, which have no Chicago ties, That's except right. for Jim Belushi. That's right. Um, anyway, uh, another person said saw George Lucas at Barney's on Oak. Oh, with his nice. wife, Melody Hobson. So awesome. <laughs> Didn't speak or take a pic, but it was fun. Yeah. See, it's still fun if you just see them and you don't have to. Yeah. I don't know why I'm advocating for celebrities, though. Do whatever you want. I know. I They're like, fine. Since <laughs> when are you so sympathetic to celebrities? I'm not sympathetic, but I just want, I don't want people to have bad experiences. I know. I, I just like positivity. I know. And then, I mean, then I think there's the part, if it was like an actor, I like, I don't necessarily report on actor you know what i mean so if i saw some random actor i I would be more inclined to say hello or something like that than if i saw a political figure i would be much less inclined to say hello because i feel like they are in the news and i find myself talking about them in the news and so i'm at that point i would need to walk up and say hi i work for wgn radio i just want to say hello then it gets weird because then they they kind of feel like oh i'm on the hot seat with a member of the press and this is a different thing, not just a fan encounter. So, But I think it is important if you do work for a media organization to lead with that. You can't just be like, hey, I'm a big fan. And then they tell you something. You're like, whoa, 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 don't, don't tell me that. Or they, you know, you. I think anybody would feel duped if, if yeah. you later said, oh, by the way, I work you know, for a radio station. They'd be like, you should have led with that. So I think <laughs> if it's like, and, and I'm saying that thinking in particular, one night I was sitting at a table in a restaurant um, next to... Like I was sit, I was actually it was weird. There was a stretch of this rest, and it's a late. It's a place. It's Bijan where you can go. Like it's open very late. Okay. Right. So it's it's very handy if you have like a late deadline. Yeah. I mean? <laughs> right. So I've seen like a lot of celebrities in there, and and mm. like first of all, there's the don't eat rule, like if or don't 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 talk somebody to them while eating. Yeah. While they're eating. Um, there's also the like you know it's open really late, so kind of a like a lot of people. It's it's great to go in there after work, but sometimes it's also people go in there after bars are closing, and you're like, <laughs> oh, you're pretty messed up. You're kind of, you know. But I feel like if it falls in the category, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really bother people. You don't like to bother people. I don't like to bother. Well, people. and the, yeah, the the big one is if they're with their family. I feel like that's not well. That's a no go. Oh, you what'd you do? No, I mean, <laughs> it would depend on who it was. If they're if it's their if their family are like private citizens, I feel uh-huh. differently. But here's what's in my head as I say that is that Kim and Kanye were in there one night. Oh wow, okay. And I was like, mm, 
Well, that that's a whole other thing. You know, it was late at night, and I was like, oh, it's Kim and Kanye. Look at that. And I was, I mean, I was in there just like, I'm exhausted and starving. And I just that's need, crazy. You know, I just wanted something to eat. So I, it didn't occur to me to go up there. I had no desire to go say like, hey, Kim Kardashian, I yeah. talk about what you've done to American culture on the air all the time. I mean, I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to do I that. I mean, yeah, what are you even going to say? I mean, I've been in the past one of the biggest Kanye fans of all time but even when I was at the peak of my fandom for him which has since changed and become more complicated um even then I was like I don't want to I, I, I love the man I don't want to meet him why you know? has your Kanye fanship gotten complicated oh in the same way that my Morrissey fanship has gotten complicated yeah yeah because separating like the artist and the well yeah I don't I'm I, it's just complicated. I don't hate him now or anything sure, like sure. that. It's just extremely complicated. He, he seems we like don't a have, strange person. We don't have enough shows in the world to <laughs> to parse that out anymore. Although, Griffin, if you wanted to make like a six or ten series podcast about exploring your <laughs> complicated fanship with Kanye, I would listen to you, every and minute you, of that. And you would be the sole listener. <laughs> and I would thank you for that, but unfortunately it wouldn't be worth it ultimately. I like this text. The guy said... I met Trace Adkins at a radio station and a couple of years later at his concert. Nice pick. Or, or, or have pick. Nice man. Nice. And then I shook hands with Charlton Heston at a book signing 20 years ago. Later that same night, I talked to him on WGN phone line with Milt Rosenberg. Aw, Milt. I know. Aww. what Heston, what a powerful voice. Absolutely true. Milt Rosenberg was the first person to put me on the radio. Oh, it's true. I was working at the Tribune, and he was like, hey, I heard there's a new person working in the book section. Get her. And so he he assigned, he, he had a couple times a year, this book show, and he would send two to three guests this stack of books, and you had to read them and go on the program and talk about them all night. And I went on with two other people, and I was the only one that read the books. And I walked in there with like bookmarks and post-its and notes and all this stuff I was going to talk about. And the other people were just like, oh, yeah, I know that book. Eh, I didn't really read it. And I was like, oh, no, Mr. Rosenberg, I am here <laughs> for this occasion. And you got you to be ready for Milt. That's right. I was like, I am. I have prepared well for this. And I I mean, it's, Milt Rosenberg did not did not assign like a light read, right? He assigned these heavy academic texts. One was about Russian literature. One was like the academic equivalent of like fan fiction of Russian literature. I mean, it was heavy <laughs> reading and I really studied very hard to be prepared for that conversation. And I, and I like to think it showed that I was prepared to have that conversation with him. And I, I like to think he appreciated that because then he kept inviting me back on. And then one day he, it was like, Oh, he's going to be off tonight. Why don't you fill in for him? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, Oh, but sure. I'll do it. He said, well, he's asked that you do it. And I was like, uh, oh, that's so sweet. So that's okay. your origin story. That's here. my that's my WGN origin story. I never story. knew that. Yeah. So when he like when oh. he, I went to his funeral when he died, I, thought, I was like very. Of course, yeah. Very no, that touched was by that. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's your uh, celebrity encounter <laughs> with Milt Rosenberg. Yeah, face to face with the man, uh, Milt Rosenberg. Yeah, I the think Chicago uh, media legend. Totally a media legend. I think I maybe helped my cause a little bit when he said that night, the first night I was on the air with him. He said some. He said that he, um. That he could speak Yiddish. And through like what little I know of Yiddish and then kind of help call, like dial a relative and, you know, figuring out the rest. I wrote him a thank you note in Yiddish and slid, oh. it, slid it under his office door. And I think that probably helped me. Uh, that's I wanted fantastic. to like acknowledge that I caught that and that, you know, I appreciate that, that there's a Yiddish speaker in front of me, which doesn't happen often. Absolutely. So. Another text uh, says at a Cubs game in the 80s, Bill Veck was in the bleachers. And butt around for our section. That's nice. Now, is that a whole? Was it? Yeah, I how know big if a it was section? A row. <laughs> right. I mean, he was a wealthy man. 
the the at various times the owner of the Indians and the the Browns and the and the White Sox. So he could probably swing that for a section, I suppose. Yeah, but probably. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of that people. That always stresses me out in a movie when somebody's like, Buy a round. A round for the whole bar. <laughs> have you know you, what? Have, my, you, have you thought about this for a moment? Right. I don't think you That's have that lot. kind of money on you. My um, my uncle did has works very hard and has built a very comfortable living for himself. And um, he has four... He, he's a lot younger. He's like the youngest sibling on my mom's side, right? So he's a lot younger than my mom. And then his wife is a good deal younger than him. So like their children are technically my cousins, but I could be their mother because I was in my 30s when they were born, right? Right. So um, two of them are twins and they both had ear infections at a time in which they needed to travel by plane. So they got onto an aircraft with four little children, two of which have ear infections. And everybody, he said everybody in the plane was just like, oh my God. Don't do it. Because they had four kids like very close together. Yep. And he felt really terrible and they were just, he, he walked out, he's, and, you know, luckily he, like I said, like has built a nice life for himself. So he was able to do this. He goes, I um, would, may I, this was a Southwest flight and he said, may I please use the intercom? And they were like, no. He was like, I, can you make an announcement for me that I would like? And so they basically said, the man standing here next to me is, as you've probably noticed, just got onto the aircraft with four small children. Two of them have ear infections and it's going to be a rough flight. So he's offered to buy a round of drinks for the entire plane. <laughs> and I was like, that's an epic <laughs> round for all my friends sort of thing. Because then nobody can, you know, you can't get too mad. No. And if you do... You, you got to keep it to yourself. Or, That's right. Well, could you deny the drink right. and then say, no, I reserve my right to be annoyed with you. <laughs> I'd I'm rather be mad than have the wine. Thank not you. Not <laughs> taking this drink. This is something to think about. I thought that was like a very generous move to That's do. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. He, he didn't have to do that. He felt really terrible. I don't rem- I, I remember. What are you gonna, sometimes you got to travel. What I are you going to do? I don't remember the deal either of why they had to travel, but it was like, it wasn't a thing you could schedule for later. I don't sure, remember what sure. it was. And they had to do it. And it was... Uh, maybe like a two hour flight, not like a six hour, but like a two, one or two hour. So it wasn't too long, but he was, and he, he said he just stood there next to the flight attendant, like waving as she was talking about him. Like this man to my right here is, uh, you know, in a bind and here's the situation, <laughs> which, you know, gosh, if you could swing that, I think that's the only way you can play that. Right. If you got four little children with you. That's yeah. If you can swing it, that's fantastic. That we should all be so lucky. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever... No, I I respectfully decline the drink. Because I would like I will, to be angry. <laughs> I will yell at you and your children. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I love it when... I, I, can't, I don't know many stories of celebrities doing stuff like that, but I do... I have heard of stories of like waiting tables on celebrities and they were really generous tippers, but I've also heard right. the opposite of when they were terrible tippers. It can go either way. And I wonder if you get to a level... If you're a celebrity of that level... Where you know people are going to talk about you, do you have to just divorce yourself from caring? I think you, you can't be a bad you, tipper because it's going to come out. Well, it will come out, but you just have to be like, I can't live my life in fear of what strangers think about yeah, me. That's true. That you'd have to be pretty evolved to get there. I I couldn't do it. I would be yeah. so worried that. Oh, I would be so worried about that. I but mean, yeah, look, no, you hear about like David Letterman tipping a hundred percent, which is like seems like the least that somebody like that could do i've seen oh, look, I, I remember would, people take pictures of those receipts yeah, that's, that's right. always nice yeah. i remember peyton manning was another one I, I look i used to wait tables for years and i know i mean i i already like to think i tip okay because i feel like <laughs> if you can't afford to tip you can't go out that's the thing so uh you know if gosh if i ever had that kind of fortune in my life i would definitely be um there is a sports figure who definitely stiffed me on a bill one time oh 
um, I don't want to say who, but that same week he had signed a very large endorsement. So it was like, I know you have the money to tip me. It, it wasn't even. And I really made a point to to care for his table. And, you know, no. And he and he acted like it was a big tip. He's I'll like, never trust another sports. He was figure like, here again. you go. Thanks so much. And I was like, two bucks. <laughs> the guy actually uh, responded back with another text. He said it was all the, all the bleachers. But it was back oh. when they stunk pretty bad, oh. so it wasn't too crowded. <laughs> That's a great story. Remember, it's the 80s. You could, yeah, right. you could swing, you could all, swing the all the bleachers at that yeah. time. That's a good story. Now it would be a little more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, so two people I like that. that I have waited on when I was waitressing that were great tippers. Um, Adam Sandler was in a bar that I worked in in New nice. York City with a... I think he said it was like an old... He said like an old friend or a childhood friend or something like that. He was very friendly and he he kind of was like, do you mind? Can we sit like kind of this? He wanted sort of an out of the way table, and he sat with his back to the room. I think he just wanted to catch up with his buddy and not be bothered. And I really, you know, like I wasn't fussy over. It. I just took good care of the table and was nice to them, and it was fine. And he was like, I really appreciate you keeping the profile low today. And he tipped me a hundred percent of the bill. Love it. Actually, it ended up being more because it was like right. eighty four twenty, and he just he tipped me eighty five bucks, so more than hundred percent. That was nice. And then, Glad to hear it. He's on a good press tour right now, so it's a good time that's for, right. <laughs> for Adam Sandler's story. And then um, Emmett Smith tipped me very nicely one time. I don't remember what the bill was, but I remember he was very cool. But he's like, hey, thanks so much for taking care of our table. You were really nice. And he was cool, not creepy. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I need you to be cool, not a creep. And I need you to be, you know, acknowledge that I just waited on your table. <laughs> There's that. Anyway, well, we got to take a break and get you to news and all the good stuff. Back with lots more to talk about here on 720 WGN in just a bit. Seven twenty WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth in for John Williams with you till three o'clock. We're keeping an eye on the weather. Every time I turn around, it's doing something different. A minute ago it was raining. Now it's snowing. It's actually kind of pretty right now. But anyway, we'll keep you posted as things unfold in the skies for sure. Um, so Griffin, we talk about movies a lot, especially this time of year. A lot of people are looking at Sundance, kind of saying what's what do people like? What are they watching? Because a lot of things happen at Sundance that we later get to see. Right. It's a funny time where you're looking ahead to the next year of movies with what's premiering at Sundance and then also getting ready to put the final like nail in the coffin of the previous movie year because the Oscar we're we're before the Oscars but in the midst of Sundance yeah yeah and it's an I mean I've been to it it's an interesting thing I mean right you went last year I went last year this time last year I was there at the Sundance Film Festival it was interesting it really was because there's a lot of things like oh I think I heard about so it's kind of a everybody's competing for attention. So a little, oh, I think I heard about this one. Oh, but it's on at the same time as this. What do I see? There's a lot competing for your attention. There's a lot to see, but there's also, it's it's surprising and interesting. It, I always knew of all the things that, that are seen and happening at Sundance, only a small percentage goes on for big commercial success after that. Yeah. You get to see what a tiny margin that is once you're there. Because you're like, there are, you know, 20, 30 films being shown at any given moment. Right. And suddenly you're like, wow, and four of them we heard about again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and and you can't tell which ones are going to be those, you know? I know. And sometimes it's great marketing. Sometimes it's a tiny little film with a big name in it. Sometimes it's yep. big cast, big crew, big budget. Sometimes it's tiny budget that just kind of is a sleeper and a surprise. It's you really never, interesting. You never know. And more and more, you know, it, I think it's very interesting the idea of what is the origin of an idea because we and I've been thinking about that because we saw so many remakes in the last couple of years. Oh boy. And it was exhausting. It was cool, but it was also kind of like there's nothing gosh, we're out of ideas. <laughs> Nobody oh, yeah. has any good ideas again. I think we I think 
people kind of perpetually feel that way, but yeah. like over the past decades, even maybe, Possibly. but especially now it's really been, yeah. I don't, there will be no reason for them to stop rebooting and, and sequeling everything. Cause those are the ones that do really well. I know that's often, the thing. Often, but, yeah. sometimes not, but sometimes most no, but sometimes definitely quite often. Yes. Yeah. So there is a, a film that's, it's called Zola and it's a film that's based on a Twitter thread. Right. So, so, so thinking of, this is not something this that is has not that been done. Well, it, in a way, it is like a piece of intellectual property that the movie has this based been on, recycled just in a not, much tinier timeline. And yeah, and not the place that you usually see things sourced from. So it was a story that a woman tweeted out uh, in like a many tweet thread. That's for for I like a good for, tweet thread, a good tweet rant for healthier people who are not on Twitter. <laughs> To be clear, a tweet thread is you like attach the tweets and just tell a longer story in these segmented. We used to call bursts. those blog posts. Absolutely, but <laughs> we like to chop them up for no reason now and, um, and do then, it this way. Inevitably, at the end of a tweet thread, there's someone saying "unroll, please," and "unroll" means put this in article form, and it's right. a service that will put it. And I'm like, we should just go back to writing blog posts. I know, but I digress. Yeah. What's the difference, really? Um, so this, uh, yeah, this woman named Azia King. Uh, tweeted out this thread that it purportedly happened to her it's a story about she worked at hooters at the time and met a woman and uh and th they become fa fast friends sort of and then she's invited on a trip to florida and uh to make some money doing things that are sort of unclear to her when she goes but she goes anyway and then it gets crazy it's a story of crime and like sex trafficking and oh, it, yeah. it's, it's it's a thing it's a very serious subject matter in a way but it's also told through her tweets in a way that was very funny and sort of off the cuff and bizarre too mm -hmm. so you think like oh it went super viral at the time it was it, this is back in 2015 it was like a big thing on twitter but if you're not on twitter you can easily miss that stuff and then it was optioned to uh, become a movie and i don't think that i've seen a viral post like that you know, maybe people have drawn inspiration from posts sure. and then done their own thing. But this is clearly she is, she's connecting a, the dots. And she's a credited writer on the movie. So That's interesting. The, the, the writing credits go to Janixa Bravo, who's the director and co-writer, Azia King, who this happened to sort of. And then David Kushner, who wrote an article for it, uh, Rolling Stone, about the the Twitter thread and sort of tried to verify the information in there and, and found that it was mostly true. There were some embellishments. But as is known to happen. And then uh, a man named Jeremy O'Harris, who just wrote uh, a, a play called Slave Play, which is playing on Broadway right now, a very uh, provocative play that's been much talked about. So this is his next project. So it's just a bizarre thing, thing um, sequence of events that led to this movie that just premiered a couple nights ago that people are saying they like a lot. And it just had me thinking, like, what have I seen on Twitter? What should I be optioning i know not, I, nothing that's happened to me i don't think is uh interesting enough although that's a fallacy sometimes you don't realize how interesting your own stories right. are. i mean i was just thinking like, i don't what, think it is for me but for some people what twitter thread have i done that would be the only twitter that thread twitter thread that ever real i think as far as i know that ever got a lot of traction for me i was super angry because during open enrollment one year the guy on the phone misspelled my name and it took all year to correct so essentially i <laughs> turns out I had health insurance, but I didn't know it because they couldn't find the actual. So I was getting different sets of mail mm. and they couldn't connect it. So there was Amy Guth and then Amy G-U-P-H. Right. 
And that, <laughs> and, and I was just, I was talking. And so Goof. some reporter tweeted, said, you know, Chicago journalist claims she's been denied health insurance. I said, well, I wasn't denied. I just can't access it because I don't have ID that matches that name because that's not my name. So it was a memorable Twitter thread for you. But, and, that, but, uh, but that would be the stupidest movie in the difficult world. Difficult <laughs> to dramatize. Yeah. So it's about finding the, the balancing point. So that's what I'm saying. So you never know. But you know what? I, I think I know one that might do the job. Let, we got to take a break. When we come back, I will tell you all about it. And I want to hear from you. If you have ever had gone on a Twitter rant that maybe is movie worthy, send us a text. Or, or Facebook. Or Facebook. Any, or, any, yeah. any, any social media. Social media thing that would be film worthy. Let's hear about it. 312-981-7200. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams today with you till three o'clock. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Appreciate you. Grateful for you sharing your time with me. So we were talking before the break about, um, I mean, I think the bigger conversation, this is like a bigger, bigger thought of like kind of where, where are ideas coming from for creative projects? Right. I've complained many times like, oh, there's no original thoughts anymore. But I think this might be so I'm uh, sorry to break in, but it's do. it's common practice to option magazine articles. Yes. For movies. That happens all the time. That was And like life story. Well, absolutely. I mean, books, certainly. That, certainly. But that's yeah. uh, that's kind of obvious. But it happens all the time for magazine articles, too. Yes. Um, possibly more so because there's a, a greater wealth and it's sort of like you just have a germ of an idea that you can expand right. on and do whatever you that's want right. if you want to make stuff up. And that's like usually the, where you'll see a, hey, this thing happened to me kind of essay. Right. That, so I guess that would kind of be a precursor to this. And that was what happened with Hustlers, for instance, last year. That was a magazine oh, yeah, article that right. was turned into that movie. So that and there, when you think about it, it's not that far off from taking something from social media. Right. Which is what occurred for the film Zola the only, that we were talking right. about. The only difference is there's really no idea of whether or not something you see on social media is true you just have to take people at their word whereas with journalism you at least there's this institutional thing built in yeah. where you hope that it and i like that that was was applied to the movie zola there was a journalist that did, did his did own story about it and did a little fact checking <laughs> yeah but ultimately that's not what matters with movies it's just it's an entertaining it be, yeah there's plenty of inspired by the events of you know kind of things. but I, yeah and i'm just thinking i think we're on the precipice of this happening a lot All more the time. probably yes i think there's probably a lot of producers looking like oh i should start t taking a much closer Twitter, look yeah. at my social media because how easy would it be to just lift them up and, and and take these stories the only downside but this happens with any movie that's based on a true story is that you can just easily go and find out what's going to happen if you just read. That's right. For instance, with this movie, <laughs> I know just how read the ends. post. I follow that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so one, what, you have anything in mind? Yeah, one that comes to mind right away is fairly recent. There was a guy who used to, he was the former head of BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News. He he got a little bit of criticism for this, which I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But he his points were going to expire this past New Year's. And so he, it was kind of a like, buy a, buy a cheap ticket somewhere, take a trip. And then you can oh, keep like your points. Oh, it's like flyer miles? Yes, or, or, yes. Or, okay, okay. So he bought a, like the, the ticket that was, he lived in uh, either LA or San Francisco. I think LA. Yes, it was LA. And then he, so he bought a ticket to somewhere in Mexico, like just in like the Baja area, right? And he was like, it was a cheap ticket. I was going to be there for 24 hours for New Year's, come right back to LA, no problem, fine. He goes to a bar while he's there, he's by himself. He goes to a bar and, you know, Turns out later, some evidence emerges to suggest that this is a bar that preys on tourists. 
So he has like one beer and he gets the bartender hands him a bill for like $350 and he protests. So the guy calls the cops. Well, the the bar and the cops are kind of in on it for bribes and like, well, we got to take you to jail then unless you can pay this bill. And so he spends a night in jail. He befriends this woman. Um, She was kind of also in jail for some trumped up thing, eventually Mm. got got released. She paid his bail, gets him out. They get to the airport. She kisses him. They get on planes. Like, it's a whole thing. And he's live tweeting. Like, my phone works again. This is what happened. She kissed me. I kissed her back. Oh, my God. So it was a whole thing. And then, so several things happen. One group of people were like, oh, poor guy with lots of money can just jaunt down to Mexico. So there was like one group of people beating up on him about that. And that helped to make make it go viral. There was another group of people going, go after her. Go get the, the, the Nigerian woman who kissed you. Go find her. And then someone was like, no, the Nigerian woman who kissed you, she's in on it. And he's like, no, she kissed me. And we're and, and then there was somebody like with a verified Twitter account uh-huh. really going after him. Oh, it was I don't remember who it was. It was a, a journalist, I think. And she was like, what are you thinking? You go. She wants to talk to you. This is fate. You know, the love of your life could be in your pathway. <laughs> How dare you not speak to her again? And he tweeted a screen grab that clearly he and the woman had been talking on WhatsApp since then. <laughs> it was this whole thing. And I was like, I need those two to get married. Is what I need. I need that to be the love of well, his life. And in the movie, it most certainly <laughs> they will. is. Absolutely. That's right. In real life, uh, who's to say? Who's That's, to say? Oh, I missed that one. That's oh, wild. The I guy's mean, name is Andrew Kimmel. You can Google I'll look it. it up. Like, you can find those tweets because it was just New Year's <laughs> Eve. And there was like the final. Oh, this th- is very recent. Oh, yeah. Okay. This was this was New Year's Eve. So I looked at my phone on New Year's Day and I was like, holy moly, what's happening to this guy? This is an ordeal. And it did happen. Because when I see stuff like that, my first inclination is, okay. We'll, yeah. we'll see in five days when see, this comes out that it's not. There was just a, a crazy story like that. Uh, yeah, anyway. No, the other person I was thinking of that would be a good story. I never story, think it's real. I have to say. I never think anything is real. I mean, as we like to say in this business, if your mother tells she loves tells you that she loves you, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Trust but verify. Well, and it's, uh, but really, what's the point of not, like, it will not hurt me to believe this story is true. So That's right. why not just go along for the ride and As enjoy it? As a fiction it? account. Yeah. yeah, sure. The other one that comes to mind that would be a great story would, um, it was a guy named Adam Ellis. I cannot tell you the name of his Twitter handle on the air. Mm-hmm. It is it is a play on the classic novel Moby Dick, um, but he has <laughs> okay. changed it a little bit. Anyway, he... Um, I think he's a writer or a, some kind of content creator. Uh, you know. Anyway, he started tweeting about this apartment he lived in in San Francisco and strange occurrences. And he had like a some kind of security camera and his cats would do weird like corner invisible thing like that. That uh-huh. I saw. It was uh-huh. really creepy. I've seen a few of these like viral ghost story. Yeah. Threads and so he, he yeah. started yeah. having dreams about this little boy that had some kind of head injury that would come to him and. So, but it ended up being really terrifying, and he kept having dreams about this little boy named David, and uh, it was this whole thing. But, and if, I mean, I was like, whatever, this guy is just like, I, in fact, thought this guy's trying to sell a book. Watch, watch. <laughs> but then, like, the videos of the cats, that they were pretty compelling. So I was like, well, there are two cats that have cornered something invisible here. <laughs> like, whether or not ghosts are real, these two cats believe something is predatory in the living room right now. Oh, my God. And it was a thing. And the guy was like, he claimed that he moved out for a while. His landlord wouldn't let him out of the lease, but he couldn't afford to move. He went and stayed with someone else. I mean, it was a whole thing. Yeah. He had a, ha- a cat sitter while he had to go on some business trip and things went really south then. And you can see a chair move and like all this stuff. 
who knows what yeah. was going on there. And it, maybe that is a book in the making. Who knows? Maybe that will be a film. But I thought that like that would be a really scary and interesting ghost story. Yeah. Of just like cool. I think he was like an. I get the cats an, involved more. Get the cats involved. <laughs> then you need PETA on set and some cat trains wow. some literal cat herders to make the cats do this. That's not for you to worry about. That though. is not. That you're is for the, the director. You're the idea person. Yeah. I'm the idea person here. So, <laughs> but I think that would be like a really compelling horror movie because uh-huh. he had all these really intense dreams. He said that Ugh. felt very real, but there was always the same little boy. And it was the minute he's like started living in this one apartment. There's a few of those. You can get sucked down a, a totally. scary thread like totally. that. And all of a sudden you're totally freaked out. You thought you were just scrolling Twitter. I just saw something, a, post, a person posted a, a screenshot from, from Facebook. Uh, and it was like in the planning group for their 10 year high school reunion, I think. Okay. And that, which was coming up. So the person that posted it was probably around my age. Cause my 10 year is also coming up, uh, which I will not be attending, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Um, they posted this and the shot was like, looking forward to seeing you guys at the 10 year reunion. I just wanted to get something off my chest, which is me and my friends at yearbook. We fixed the senior superlatives, the, the, the little awards you win in the yeah. yearbook, best eyes or whatever, sure. uh, cutest couple, stuff like that. We fixed it all and gave it to our friends. And I felt so guilty for. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which, you know, is small potatoes. It's not That's a, funny. it's not important, but I am, I have this vision in my head of that as like taking it very seriously as like a heist almost. Then yeah. they pulled off this scam. Like there's and a then, little bit of like, and then um, they get caught. Right. Like I think there needs to be a little bit of, one of the teen movies with a prom dance scene. Oh, absolutely. And some choreography. But then there's also a little bit of, what was that movie with Val Kilmer and the popcorn at the end? Had, <laughs> Sorry. Tears for, not War Games. That was um, <laughs> Real Genius. Real oh, Genius. Real Genius? Yeah, sure, Real yeah. Genius with yeah. the popcorn at the end. Yeah. Love like that a, movie. A little bit of that <laughs> and a little bit of teen movie together in this one of like, we're going to, the nerds, and maybe a little bit of Revenge of the Nerds, like all together in this. We're, we're mind melding here. This is great. We just wrote like three screenplays, Griffin. Well... Is what we did. <laughs> oh boy, get us! To, I'll, I have to run back to Hollywood real quick. Yeah, I was going to we'll say get this going. we've gotten we've really launched your your Hollywood writer career <laughs> yes. since you've returned from Los Angeles. That was always the plan. All right, <laughs> live in front of everyone, we've done this. All right, well, we're going to take a little break. On the other side of news, I want to talk with you about those DNA tests you're getting. Right, you're like checking out the ancestry things like that. Some things I want you to consider. We have a very very special guest. They'll be joining us to talk about those considerations. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams today. Thanks so much for being with us today and sharing your time with us this Saturday afternoon. We're joined now by phone by freelance reporter Jack Herrera, who's written for Politico and The Nation and most recently wrote a piece for Popular Science I thought was very, very interesting. It's about how many people have misconceptions about what they can learn from DNA tests, especially what those tests say about their ethnicity. Really, really interesting topic. Jack, thanks so much for being with us today. Welcome to the program. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. So this is such a fascinating topic. I've talked about this DNA test a lot in terms of data privacy, and I've talked about it a lot in terms of where those tech hubs around genetics are kind of building up. Just this past week, we learned that there were some layoffs happening at 23andMe. So it's a topic that's kind of up again. I have not really seen this much conversation around this particular aspect of this. So, So if you could kind of talk us through... Uh, what what this is about when we're talking about ethnicity, because I think that's why so many people go to have a DNA test. They kind of want to say, who am, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is a, I'm really glad to have this question because this is an area that a lot of people have misconceptions. I think that there's a whole wealth of people that their primary reason they take this test is to be, think they're going to, it's going to be able to tell them something about their race. Um, and I think the most important thing to note is that there is no genetic test on the market or that any scientist anywhere in the world has that can tell someone what their race is. And uh, the proof of that is that if you look at these ancestry tests, if you look at 23andMe or Ancestry.com or Heritage DNA, not a single one of these tests claims to be able to tell you your race. Um, what they do is they do claim that they'll be able to tell you your ancestry, genetic ancestry profile, which is something very different. Some tests do use the word ethnicity, but they're clear if you read the fine print that they're like, we're using ethnicity to mean something closer to ancestry profile. We're not telling you what your race is. We're not even telling you what your culture is. We're telling you an ancestry profile, and we're using that word ethnicity as a synonym. Which I think is so interesting, because even in the ad campaigns, the way people talk about these DNA tests on social media, kind of anecdotally, very much these are very related to identity and and very deep you know a lot of people you'll see these kind of posts like wow i found out i have ancestry from x or i'm this and i think those two all the things we're talking about here kind of get conflated around this central point of identity and what feeds into that yeah absolutely um i think one of the issues is when people get these tests back they'll see something well and this is something i see that this is so so common that somebody will say on social media i'll see it on my on my feed or from even from family and friends that they've gotten their tests back and they say oh it says i'm 30 percent irish um and that actually even beyond this whole idea of what whether or not you know you can find race in your genetics that's actually a fundamental misinterpretation of what that 30 percent means what these tests are saying is something closer to we're 30 percent confident your dna represents some degree of irish ancestry um, that's a lot different than saying you're 30% Irish. It's like looking at the, the weather uh, estimate for tomorrow, and it says that there's a 30% chance it's going to rain, and assuming that means it's going to rain for 30% of the day. It's just not what the figure represents. Right. There's, there is like a, a lot of, I think, language, and I don't want to say semantics because that sounds too small, but there, there are a lot of problematic issues around the way mm-hmm. that people are discussing this. A point that you bring up in your piece that I thought also was really interesting relates to population sample of how confidently yeah. these tests can say you are the, you have this or this. And, and these, these population samples tend to be overwhelmingly Eurocentric. Talk to me about that. Yeah, um, I think the best way to explain this is using an example. Uh, my grandfather, who's Mexican-American, took one of these tests. And uh, when it came to his profile on the Iberian Peninsula, you know, in Spain, in modern-day Spain and Portugal, um, it had an incredible degree of specificity about his ancestry profile. It could sort out, you know, like what part of Spain ancestors are from. It even was able to separate out, like, what part of his heritage is Sephardic Jewish, uh, Jewish people from Spain. Um, but when we went over to his North American profile, um, it was essentially just that. It said North American, and that's a category that combines you know, Inuits with Aztecs. It's a you know, really huge area. Um, and the problem with that is in the underlying data, that the studies of genetic profiles is uh, essentially studies of native populations. And there has been an enormous amount of research into European continents populations. You know, they've separated out you know, northern Italians from southern Italians and, uh, you know, western Germans from eastern Germans. And they've been able to do all those sorts of levels of specificity because of the research that's happening in the European continent. 
that same degree of research hasn't been done on any other continent in the world. And primarily in the Americas, it's so little that there's very little um, nuance when it comes to your results from a place like North America, a place like South America. It's so very interesting. I, in fact, I was just having this conversation recently with someone about what it means to be, you know, from a place and how certain places feel very connected to uh, uh, a sometimes very homogenous identity. And sometimes that's very wrong because if you look at the history of a certain country, it's like, well, that's not just people didn't just materialize that people moved and people have always been moving around the earth. That's been a thing. Um, and so I think that, that, that feeds in that too of like, well, what it means to be say Italian or Greek or whatever, when in fact that's been a place where that's been a port city and these people came in and this happened and that can mean a lot of things. And I, I think that's a very interesting thread through this on top of the issue that you raise about the population or about the, uh, the data and the sample size, which is really interesting. So, so kind of what's the, what do we do with this? Like knowing this, I think, you know, there's so many ad dollars being put to these tests and a lot of people give them as gifts and they're kind of considered like this fun thing to do with your family to, to learn about your DNA. You know, what, what is the, what is the key to sort of raising the conversation to include all of these factors that, that you, that you list here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think what it goes down to is that the primary misunderstanding and misconception here, I think it has more to do with just these tests. I think when it comes down to it, we have we a lot of us uh, have misunderstandings of what race is, um, what ethnicity is, because race is so consequential in our lives. I think that we expect to be able to find some clear evidence of it as deep as our biology, as deep as our DNA. But there is no white gene or black gene or even Asian gene. There's no geneticist that can go in and figure out what your race is because when it comes down to it, race isn't a biological measure. It's a, what you know you can call a social construct. Right. Um, and, of course, there are genetic factors. People look different from one another. But when it comes to these ancestry profiles, for instance, they're not looking at your genes that determine how your skin looks or how your facial structure uh, ends up looking. They're looking at much more specific, very... Uh, highly targeted markers that show ancestry. Um, and so I think the most important way to move forward in this conversation is to have a more um, involved conversation about what race is and understand that it's something different than just straight biology, just straight science. It has a lot to do with a history of power in society. Um, a lot of the terms we use today, like black and white, uh, come directly from the history of European colonialism when um, Slave traders and explorers were exploring from the European uh, continent were making new contact with people and wanted to come up with words to describe them. And, of course, those words and that descriptions came a long time before our current day understanding of genetics. Um, and so I think it's time for us to update the conversation and talk about the history and the legacies we're dealing with and then also what modern science actually says about human difference. I think those are wonderful points. I wish we had hours and hours because I I'm so interested in this topic and the social issues that it that it speaks to. And I, I wish we could just devote a whole show to talking about this, Jack. I think this is so interesting. Um, but let's shift to the business side of this a little bit because we just recently, yeah. as I said, um, heard about some layoffs happening at 23andMe. What? which I was kind of a little bit surprised to hear about because I feel like I was just bombarded all December with give a gift of this, you know, these DNA tests, give a gift to, you know, buy one, get one, give these gifts. I feel like so many, it didn't seem like there were any cracks to show and suddenly we see layoffs. Is that a sign of a shift or is that a sign of maybe a passing moment or, or what do you, where, how do you read that? 
Yeah, so there's been a slow in the sales of direct-to-consumer tests for a while. That they, you know, it kind of seems like there's market saturation of generally like the number of interest is going down. The number of sales happening each month is trending on the downward direction. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. One of it is that, you know, there is at the end of the day probably the number of people who are particularly interested in having these tests. And it's not something you can sell again and again. You know, once you've had your test, you've had your test. Um, the other thing is, in recent years, uh, particularly after um, the some of these uh, ancestry, pro, some of these DNA profile on one of these sites was used to uh, convict, uh, to indict a family member, the Golden State Killer, um, using DNA evidence. And I think that that particularly raised enormous privacy concerns about what does it mean once I give up my DNA, once I give up my privacy to this very, very you know, I sense the personal part of who I am. And I think that that privacy concern is certainly more in the air now than it was when tests were first developed. And I can see that uh, encouraging some people to maybe refrain from giving up their personal information in this way. Yeah, I think that that is a I've heard that that brought up before after that case. Also, at one point I was I was interviewing um, somebody who works in genetics, but in the in like reproductive genetic counseling and uh, donorship and family planning, that kind of thing. And she raised an interesting point that's been um, on her radar in in her industry with her expertise and her work. And that was related to people maybe feeling a little bit squeamish about donating uh, to help other couples with families, uh, family building, because they were like, well, if I want to donate, I don't know that I want someone contacting me later because I show up in a DNA registry, like it, I need to make the choice. Do I want to, you know, do my ancestry DNA profile or do I want to like donate an egg or something like that? Which I thought that's another very interesting point. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's big questions about how, you know, how you're contactable or how you're identified once you share your DNA profile. And that's of course that happens on this personal level. If you're, you know, you're donating, um, you know, eggs or sperm that somebody, who you maybe wanted to remain anonymous to might be able to find you. Uh, there's also this question of as these companies pivot away from the direct-to-consumer tests that aren't selling well, what they're going to do with their massive treasure troves of personal data, which includes DNA data. Um, and just so you get targeted ads on Google based on, you know, what you might be messaging or emailing about, um, there's a question of will you start, will people who are taking these tests start getting targeted ads specifically from uh, with regards to their DNA profile, which is a question of ethics and privacy that we definitely, a conversation we definitely need to have. Yeah, I very much agree. And I'm starting to see a lot of movement in the area of kind of now you can upload your DNA and find the right diet for you or learn about this or yeah. how to combat headaches. And I think there's a, there's, we might be a little out ahead of ourselves without, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences down the road that I, you know, that I can't help but think about. So all very interesting stuff. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today. Uh, Jack Herrera, thanks so much. And for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'll be sure to tweet this story out so people can read it for themselves. Thanks so much, Jack. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Amy. All right. We're going to take a little break back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, Amy Guth in for John Williams, wrapping things up here at three o'clock. I want to, my mind is kind of blown by that last guest, Griffin. That was a really interesting topic. I, I, I completely agreed with him. I wish I had hours more to talk with him. We were talking with Jack Herrera. He's a freelance reporter. He wrote a piece for Popular Science about how people misunderstand 
what they're looking at when they're they take a DNA test to learn about ancestry. The thing you said about the percentages was, I thought, a great way of phrasing it. And I didn't know, you know, yes. um, when you when you get a test like that and it says you're, he's, his example, I think, was 30 percent Irish. Yeah. That doesn't mean that 30% you 30 percent of, of you, you yeah. is comes, Irish comes from 30 you percent know, of your DNA code comes from an Irish person an Irish ancestor or a group of ancestors, it's, there's a 30% chance. They have 30% confidence that you have, uh, Irish ancestry. And his, his an analog to that was if it says it's, there's 30% chance it's going to rain tomorrow, that doesn't mean it will be raining for 30% of the day. That's right. There's just 30% chance that it will happen. Yeah. So that was a, a great, he, he had to put it in really good context. Yeah, I thought so too. And I thought his points really about like, Hey, you can't, it can't tell you your race. Because there is not a biological marker for a race. I thought that was a really good point. He's like, race is a social thing. There are, you know, genetic traits that you can have, but to say, like... We don't really have the test to do that. And it's not, that's not these, a thing. these yeah, ones either. They're just right. they're just kind of guess, guessing games that are fun to play along with if you want. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with doing it. Um, right. But it's just to... It was a good corrective to just understand the, there's a better way to think about it. That's right. Or something like that. You've taken one, right? Uh, yeah. I, t I picked the one um, that I felt like it had the best privacy terms, and it would also allow you to dump your DNA sample later. Oh, cool. So you could get your results and say, okay, destroy it. Mm. I'm taking their word for it. I didn't watch them do it. But, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. you know, the, in the the legal language, I would have legal re you know recourse if they did not after I... I felt very confident that they would be in the hot seat if they did not destroy that sample. But an interesting thing happened when I took it. And that's why I thought the part about the sample size influences results. I, I know that is accurate. And a friend of right. mine, she also took one. And we have both had the same, uh, the same experience in that um, both of our results changed. So we both let them sit there for a few months. And both of us got updated results at one point. It wasn't uh, like it, it wasn't like you're Italian now you're Irish. It wasn't like that. It was <laughs> it was a slightly expanded read. So initially, I've always known I'm a mutt. I have people from all over the land, and I knew that. And there were some questions about my one of my great grandmothers, uh, where she came from, because she wouldn't say. And we all kind of had our theories about that, and I was curious about that. So. I thought it was very interesting that there were places on my DNA map that lit up or places I had always been drawn to, but had no idea I had a connection to. I was like, that's very interesting. Uh, yeah, I like and, that. and as he said, with great specificity in certain parts, like there was just a vague dot, like vaguely this, but then in another part, there was a, there was one, there were two dots that were European and yep. both of those were very, very specific, whereas ones that were outside of Europe were a little less specific. Right. So, which I thought was curious, but what he was saying makes a lot of sense that there's a bigger sample size of European DNA to to look at and compare my DNA against. So, therefore, you can get specific with that. Right. And again, it's not that it can't tell you anything, but just yeah. it's not telling you the whole story. I mean, as long as people know that. What I, I would... guess if you go through the process of buying it and reading the stuff and doing yeah. that. Hopefully you would know that going in, but I, I don't know if everyone does. So. That's right. Some people and, you know, the the health component was a part that I wondered. I wondered if I was carrying the BRCA gene. I was curious about that. Mm, right. And I'm not. And but I I debated this a long time because I was like, well, what what would happen? I mean, I feel like I'm very healthy already and I exercise and I try to eat well and things like that. 
would I do anything drastically different if I did have the BRCA gene? Like, would it just be this cloud hanging over my head feeling like a time bomb? Even then, it's not a guarantee that I would have breast or ovarian cancer. But, you know, I was kind of on the fence, like, do I even want to know or do I just want to live my dang life? Right. But ultimately, I decided to take it and I, di- I didn't have, you know, and my grandfather had macular degeneration. I was wondering about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's like 10 different or 11 genetic markers for that. And I had like four, but I was like, well, what do I do with that? right right not use my eyes like what am i gonna do so (laughs) you know i thought the health part of it was really interesting and it um i could see that being useful but no i i ultimately like had my sample my dna sample destroyed because i was like i don't took a look i don't know where yeah i saw i got some (laughs) questions answered and then like i said six months later they sent they're like there's an update and i was like what does that mean and there was some expansion in a non-european category and i was like Oh, what, maybe there's more research. What does that mean? And I kind of started looking into it, and it was about sample size. Yeah. Simply put, like more people in another part of the world starting started taking DNA tests, therefore they were able to learn more. Yeah, it, it, I just saw that headline about Twenty Three and Me, one of these services, cutting back their workforce and, yeah. and laying people off and having uh, some troubles. And it checked out to me. I was like, yeah, that th- this really did peak. You yeah. know, like it was a thing that a lot of people were buying and talking about. It was probably time for it to go on a downslope, and maybe, sure. maybe it won't be something we talk about at all in the next couple of years. But I don't. I feel like I'm getting. That's probably an overreaction. I think I, I'm yeah. sure they'll still be around because people will always have questions about this stuff. I've never taken one. My brother was gifted one mm-hmm. for Christmas that I don't uh, t- a year ago. Did he take it? I don't think he did, mm-hmm. or if he did, he didn't tell me. But I kind of thought he can take it, and I can get most of my answers. I don't need one now, or I don't think that's actually true. That's but, not true. My brother took I one know. too, and ours were not. They were different. I mean, there were enough to say, okay, we're definitely related. Also, we look alike, but you know, <laughs> it wasn't like, whoa, mom and dad, you got some things to tell us. It wasn't like that. Um, but you know, there were like, he just had a, you know, and I think it's it's clearest in the medical part, right? Like there were, like I carried four of the markers for macular degeneration, and he carried zero. Right. Well, stuff like that. Stuff yeah. like that. Like, but when you're going back in your family history, actually, someone just texted in and said someone I know took the DNA test and found a stepbrother. That How happened, does that work? That happened to a very good friend of mine. And she, I've, I've said this on the air before because she's open about it. She, um, essentially, before her father and mother got married, her father had a child he didn't know about with a, with a girlfriend, like a summer fling kind of thing while he was working somewhere for the summer and didn't know. And she never, never contacted him. So my friend did her DNA test and it said, you have a DNA relative and she's thinking, oh, cool, like some long lost person from the old country. And they log in and it, it says it'll say like likely your, you know, cousin. And, and she logged in and said likely a half sibling. And she was like, what? That woman was also notified like, oh, this could be the siblings of the dad. My mom never, you know, my mom regretted right. never introducing me to because the mom had said like I felt bad later. But right. at the time, I didn't want to track him down and deal with that and in that case there's really no foul play or i don't know what you call it but no no one did anything wrong although people maybe think they made mistakes and would like to do things differently but in a case like that it's just kind of like it's one of those things this is just an interesting and bizarre wrinkle yeah but then there's other times where things come out and it's like oh my gosh okay well say your parents are still married and you find out you have a younger half sibling and you're like hmm 
okay, so clearly my dad had an affair and has a secret family. Like something like that would be a thing, right? That would be a thing. That would, I'd say that would be a thing. That would be, I mean, in my friend's case, she gained a whole family, right? Like this woman was very welcoming to her and her family was very welcoming to this woman. They all recently got together. They look alike. I mean, it's really kind of a beautiful story. And she's like now got this older sister. Then and she's very close to her. Her mother is very close to this woman, which I think is that's that's I think uh, kudos to her mom. Yeah. Like, yeah. To say like this is my husband's child from before he knew me. You know, they would be easy to be like, man, eh, that's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. But no, her mom went out of her way to make her feel welcome. That's beautiful. It yeah. sounds it could be a commercial for one of these. That's right. My cousin yeah. wrote wrote. Um, she did some academic work on. Uh, the business model and some of these kind of cautions and some of these issues and stuff like that, which um, she ended up ultimately taking a test. And um, but, you know, she and I look identical. People think we're sisters. We only had 16 or 17 percent of our DNA in common, ultimately, which I thought was really funny. I expected it to be a lot more. Somebody texted in. We have to wrap shortly. Yeah. But somebody texted and said, uh, family is complicated. Family not is every, complicated. Not everyone wants more family. LOL. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's that wraps exactly it up, right. I think. Yeah, <laughs> and that pretty much puts a pin in that topic. You're right. My, like, I'm all set with the family I got. I don't know if I need more. <laughs> right. Well, um, pleasure to work with you today, esteemed producer Griffin. Always, always a joy. I think we're back here next Saturday, right? I think so. You're with me. Cool. That'll well, be fun. Well, that sounds really good. Well, thanks to all my guests, and for those of you who follow me on Twitter, again, I'll tweet out links to the stories we talked about today, so you can read them for yourself. And I'll, I'll see if I can find those Twitter threads that should be films because they're, uh, they're interesting ones for sure. Um, so we'll see you back here this time next week, one to three. All right. Until then, 